Hey guys, it's the Ides of March, Friday the 15th, and thanks for listening to In The Band Podcast. I'm Michael Goldman, the host of the podcast, and I took last week off. I was traveling for my friend's bachelor party, so I'm sorry I didn't post an episode that week, but you know, most people will listen to this posthumously, and I'm a musician, so I'm uh, very typically not as organized as maybe a businessman. However, this week... I have a really cool episode. For me, it's personally cool. It's with Elijah Thompson, the bass player for Father John Misty. And I unabashedly am a huge fan of that band, of Father John Misty, of the records, of the live shows. I've been pretty enamored with uh, the entire arc of the Father John Misty career so far. And the band always is killer. And Elijah's been in the band since the second record cycle. And along with other additions, it's really like it's only gotten better. But he's also someone that I've been following his career for over a decade now, just as a fan of music. So I was uh, just so stoked when I was able to get him to be on the podcast. And this is the first episode I've done not in person. So we did it uh, online. And um, you'll hear in the beginning of the podcast, I make a reference to Sorry About Your Name or something like that. Because when I reached out to him and I sent him the invite, I spelt his name with a P. There's no P. It's not Thompson. It's Thompson. Anyway, um, I also want to apologize for just like, honestly, I just wasn't the coolest interviewer in this episode because I am such a fan. And I was kind of blown away with the ease at which he described this awesome life of playing music. And so it just felt like a total... uh, Chris Farley on SNL when he's interviewing Paul McCartney and he's just like, oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. Like just, you know, that that's where I was at in my headspace. I was just stoked to be talking to him. So hopefully that doesn't translate into uh, complete amateur vibes and hopefully it's uh, endearing. I don't know, but I had a great time talking to him. I had a great time listening back to this episode and hearing the things he has to say and, and gleaning some of the wisdom that he had to share. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed talking to him. All right. Sorry about... Sorry about the name. Mistake. What do you mean? Oh, oh no, that's fine. It's a <laughs> it's a very common error. I don't I don't even really know why there's a P in there and or why that's more common or whatever. Because it's to me, it seems like it's the son of Tom, right? You know, like yeah, Tom's son. Yeah. Well, is it Not Hunter this. S. Thompson or Thompson? It is Hunter. Okay. It's with a P. Yeah. Mm. That's it's definitely the more common version, but I feel like it's some kind of like Ellis Island, you know. Yeah, um, fuck up. Of, yeah. I'm sorry. If you if you were to look at the etymology, it probably doesn't make a ton of sense with that. Piece. Yeah, I don't know. I I haven't paid too much attention to it, but but you know, I have to like you know remind people all the time. Um, are you are you from Washington State? No, um, <clears throat> from California, from Riverside. Um, <clears throat> just moved up here in September uh, because my daughter Greta enrolled at Washington State University and was starting her 
<clears throat> her college, uh, you know, freshman year up here. But then kind of right before uh, we moved up here, unbeknownst to me, because I was on the road, um, mm. she kind of fell in love with this boy, initially asked me if he could move in with us, and I was like, no way. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, not that I'm anti-romance, you know, but, uh, you know, he doesn't have to live with us. You know? mm-hmm. um, I get it. But then anyway, she wound up moving back to California, thereby ditching me here. Which is fine, I get it. You know, she's eighteen, but uh, I had signed a lease, so I was kind of like, "Well, I, don't, I just got here. I don't feel like moving. This is it's kind of a new adventure. It's kind of fun." Oh wow! So I'm here, just living. <laughs> you just kind of happen <laughs> to be here for this time being. And my girlfriend uh, lives in Australia, and she uh, decided to move out, uh, and so it's been wonderful. We've just been kind of. Going so on she's up road trips, yeah. So I don't have to be here alone in the middle of nowhere. Are, are you are you outside Seattle then? No, I'm I'm in Pullman, which is in the eastern side of Washington. Oh shit! Yeah, uh, way out there. Next town over is Moscow, Idaho. So, oh, cool. So yeah, it is definitely a weird thing for me. I've never uh, lived in a small town area. I've always, you know, born and raised in the L.A. metro and always on tour and in big cities and stuff. So, yeah, it's definitely forced me to, like, just just kind of change my role a little bit. It's been great, you know. Yeah. What a what a kind of random turn of events. It is. It, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things where you're just like, OK, universe, I guess I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> and and I and I've just sort of accept. I mean, I could have just turned and gone back to California, but it just didn't feel like it. We had just gotten off the road with Misty, yeah. and, and I was like, "Well, you know, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> adapt." I got snow tires on my car. I've, I've been working on making a sourdough starter, so uh, oh shit, yeah, got my first round of dough in the in the proving mode at this point. <laughs> Well, if you pass through LA anytime soon, I have a, a pretty good sourdough starter that's like twenty years old. Nice, oh, really, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. I don't know. I'm just that's that's kind of what I mean. Like I would have never fucking done any of this shit. Yeah, in California, but I have you know all this time on my hands and and just I've been watching like geology lectures on online and and going out and exploring you know Eastern Washington geology, which is insane <laughs> kind of <laughs> cataclysmic level stuff going on around here so it's i just kind of was looking around driving around and just kind of going man what is this this is insane like so i you know i'm a curious dude and just yeah started exploring and learning so i'm geology arm, armchair geologist which i think you know most musicians are armchair everything because you know, particularly geology or shit like that, because you're just, you know, spending half your life riding in a van, looking out the window, going, "Yeah." Now, how did this happen? Particularly like <laughs> Southern Utah or like Colorado, you know, those mm-hmm. places where you're just like, "Oh my god, this looks like upheaval." You know. Yeah, west Western Montana. Yeah. To me, is like you go from this crazy like dirt desert sprawl 
with like mesas into what is kind of like Idaho and Washington green mountains. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, that's kind of the thing, this zone. I mean, Idaho, I'm kind of right by the panhandle. So I'm really not that far from Western Montana. So there's yeah. just this massive convergence of different climates and, and, and landscapes. And it's just, it's just fun to get into that stuff. Cause I mean, I, I suppose California's got a bunch of shit like that too, but, but, uh, I'm used to that stuff down there. This stuff is yeah. foreign to me. So are yeah. you near tri cities? Uh, yeah, yeah, not far, about an hour away. Hour uh, and right. My, the good friend is from there and so many randomly, so many musicians have come out of tri cities, Washington. Yeah. He's like, um, Kyle from our band. Oh, that's exactly keyboard player. Um, yeah, it's, but, it's but, from Kennewick. Okay, yeah, that's where Isaac's from. That's yeah, funny. yeah. I um, back in the day when I was playing with Richard Swift, we did a tour. Sorry, I'm closing the doors here. Uh, when I was touring with with uh, Richard Swift, we did a tour um, with a band called the Crystal Skulls. Which, interestingly enough, has like Christian Wargo, who is in Fleet Foxes, James, yeah. James McAllister, Casey Faubert from, uh, um, God, what can I think? Sufjan's band. Yeah. And, you know, Yuki, who was in The Shins. Like, there was just so many rad dudes on that tour. But this <laughs> one show we played in Kennewick, Washington, I had never been out here. And it was like this all ages show in like a what seemed like an arcade, basically, and uh, just smashed full of kids. It was like ten degrees outside. It was like we sold more merch that night than any other show on our tour, <laughs> probably ever. <laughs> it was amazing. But have you ever played in Provo, Utah? Oh yeah, once. Because uh, that's I. I played. I've played there probably like 25 times oh, wow. a couple of older bands we just got like into that scene i guess but yeah it sounds like a very similar thing just a bunch of young kids that spend all their money on merchandise yeah yeah it's great and, and will pay take pay money for or spend money for it's tickets. always funny because it's like one of those ones you look at the like tour like list your schedule and you're like kennewick where the fuck is that <laughs> and you're like oh we gotta go out to do this dumb all ages show and then you show up and it's rad and like all the kids there are rad and like, you know, you're just blasting their faces off and they're eating it up and you're just like, man, we got to play Kennewick every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. You mentioned that Crystal Skulls thing because I was going to interview Ryan Phillips the other day who was in oh, Crystal yeah, Skulls. Ryan. I didn't end up linking up with him. He was just in town for a couple of days, but like, so this weird small world thing, his sister is married to a friend of mine and that I became a friend of mine through this guy, Isaac, who's from there, who plays drums in AWOL Nation, who I play with. And uh, I don't know, this is a small world. Yeah, yeah. If you stick around in the music business long enough, it it's all the same, you know, everybody else yeah. has, has gotten scared and run away, and you're like, oh, I know all these dudes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a exactly. festival is like a, it's like a house party. Yeah, you know what? So I I ran into you at Oshiaga yeah. back in like 2015, and it was 
such a random thing because I was going to come and say, hey, and you looked at me and you said my name. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I don't even know how we became like Instagram friends, but I recognized you right away. I was like, oh, man, I know this guy. Yeah, well, that was how, like, I, when I saw you started playing with Father John Misty, I was like, I, for some reason, I've been following this guy for like yeah. eight years already. I don't know why or how. I know. It's Maybe weird how that happens sometimes. Yeah, I was in Everest, and uh, that was, I don't know, 2008 through 2012, maybe? 2013? I, I, I went to some of those shows. I yeah. Know, but, um, yeah, that Everest was a pretty influential band for me. Well, I was really? 18 in 2008. Okay, there you go. Um, and so in terms of like, who were, in my opinion, like cool bands that were on the scene, I guess. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was kind of, it's, it's a funny, I, Everest was, was kind of an interesting experience. I mean, I think that, uh, I don't think it's totally over yet, but it was classic kind of just like, you know, like just a, a strange band chemistry, like seemed to kind of like, there was like, you know, just kind of certain personality traits that would like kind of cancel each other out, you know, in when creativity came along. And it was always an issue with that band where it seemed like we were way better live than we were on record. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the live shows were kind of the thing. And like, and I was always frustrated, like, you know, we need to try to figure out how to capture this live. And one of the, I think the biggest sort of hurdle was, was the sort of personality clash that was going on. But yeah. like every but I've since I've been in Misty, I've had so many people come up to me and talk to me about Everest and 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 I'm like, where were you guys when we were playing? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's kind of how music is sometimes, you know, like like Big Star or something, you know, like these these kind of bands that are just there for a couple of years and then disappear, but then like 20 years later, everybody's like, oh, my God, you know, these are amazing. Yeah, it the word of mouth. Yeah. It just keeps going. Yeah, and and just things, you know, like um, the Richard Swift stuff, and, you know, he recently passed last year, and yeah. and there were some memorials, um, kind of concerts, tributes and stuff, and, and it, you know, it was one of those things where I was, like, thinking as we, as watching all these rad musicians honor Richard, I was thinking, you know, it's funny, when we were making a lot of those records, we didn't think anyone would ever hear them. <laughs> and here there were people singing his songs, people who we would have even considered heroes and stuff like that at the time. Mm -hmm. And so um so it's it's uh it's it's you know, life is 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 a funny thing that or at least the music business things that you don't think people will hear becomes like legendary eventually to some people and then you know in real time, Everest is playing, you know, having just kind of having a real hard time staying afloat financially. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and yet, you know, this, it lives on, you know, uh, yeah. in spite of our, you know, lack of ability to keep it together, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and, uh, you know, I think that, uh, all those things just kind of like, it's a path that kind of Richard, yeah. Richard, Swift and Everest led to Father John Misty. And to me, this is a sort of, it's like the chemistry is just right. 
you know, everything's working. Everybody gets yeah. along. There's mutual admiration from all the band about one another and and to Josh and, and then back from Josh. I think it, it's very rare that I've ever been in a band where it felt like that. And, and so... That- that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it seems like when I hear about situations that work out just like that, it seems like they always take a, a while to find. Yeah. You know, like, like like the right incarnation. Yeah, it's like panning for gold. I mean, like, honestly, it's I, I look at it, I, know I hate this sort of analogy, music to sports, but, like, I've always been fascinated, kind of like a basketball team is like five guys, like average band size, you know? Yeah, And, you know, I've seen over the years, you know, these attempts to put together these like super teams that just like in the Lakers case, like Kobe and Shaq era got beaten by like the Pistons. And it Mm -hmm. was like this team that seemed unbeatable was beaten by just a team of scrubs that had chemistry, you know, or perceived scrubs compared to the Lakers, you know. Yeah. And um, and, you know, chemistry is the weirdest thing that you just just because you put a certain amount of talented people in a band doesn't mean that it's going to have that, that vibe, you know, in fact, it's really hard to put that many talented people in a band because, because everybody's used to being the best guy in the band and, and, (laughs) you know, being in charge and, you know, Dave Vanderbilt has put out records of his own and, and, you know, and, and in this, he's, he's sort of has to like, you know, learn how to like help support Josh's, you know, vision and, you know, but it doesn't, but Josh, you know, hired Dave because he thinks he's a genius. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it works both ways. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess if everyone allows himself to be humbled yeah. by everyone else. Yeah. And when, and when that good. happens, it's like, you know, role players and then, and then lead guys or, or, you know, the, the sort of, so-called coach on the floor kind of point guard where you know and then the star guy you know that's scoring all the points and but everybody needs to be there to make it all work you know yeah the hard part Uh, about bands is that everybody wants to be a democracy and i just don't think democracy bands work very well oh man i i completely agree if they do work they work incredibly slowly yeah yeah, or it just it's doomed eventually. Like you can't have that many cooks in the kitchen for that. Eventually, somebody's gonna yeah. feel slighted. Which is unfortunate because it sounds like a beautiful thing. It sounds like an idyllic situation, but well, at least from my experience, it's it's like pulling teeth. I think a lot of times it just like you said, it has to do with humility and and like some sort of self analysis, like. I can. I feel like I've worked well with guys because I haven't had an agenda to put out my own records. That I kind of value the idea of, you know, helping give a foundation to to guys who naturally want to be a frontman or are good at that, yeah. you know, or or just mm-hmm. have like, if I'm good at what I do, I can help them be good at what they do, and that. But that required some sort of like, you know understanding that this isn't about me you know what i mean like but i don't yeah. care like i don't ever want the bands that i'm in to be about the bass you know <laughs> i think, think that you know a good bass player you know it's like you notice it when it's gone you know what i mean like yeah not that you don't notice or something but it's like ultimately you know you're serving your your purpose the greatest when everyone else can shine yeah i mean it, it's Bass is specifically a funny instrument when it comes to that because 
my even my girlfriend she'll joke about how like yeah you're playing this song for me but i can't i couldn't tell you what is the bass or what is right. the keyboard here like it just it's just a thing that i'm hearing all at once which is kind of awesome well, in, in certain music it's the only thing you hear like in reggae or yeah r&b you know it's the, everything else is kind of like you know uh accoutrement you know comparatively where like yeah. james jamerson baseline you know that's like the whole fucking song you know <laughs> like i don't know like there's yeah that to, that's like you know that's the essence to me like it should be both hmm. it should be essential and and sort of invisible you know yeah um and you did you start playing bass as a kid uh well my dad was a bass player i tried not to play bass <laughs> i think <laughs> when i was a kid um i started when was i family was business? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there was a time where I thought I was the one in the family that didn't have talent. Um, but it mm. was really just, I don't know, ju- uh, sometimes you just got to you find your, your thing and it just works. And that was kind of how it worked yeah. for me. I didn't want to play bass because I was, I didn't want to be constantly compared to my dad, <laughs> who does. Um, but I did anyway, and of course, did I know I've had... who your dad is. Or you did? Oh no! No, should I? No, well, I don't okay. know. He was he was in a Christian rock band in the seventies and eighties, and he was a, a good bass player. Um, but you know, I uh, I wanted to. I, I mean, I, he's passed away now, so I guess I can say this, but. I just wanted to be way better than he was <laughs> at whatever <laughs> I did. So that was like yeah. a tall order, like, oh, shit, I got to be better than this guy, you know. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, my brother was already playing guitar. And I would say my brother taught me more about playing bass than my dad. But uh, but um, he, he was older and he, you know, kind of was like, you know, Maybe someday you'll be able to play, but for right now, don't touch my shit, you know. <laughs> uh, but one time uh, when I was a freshman in high school, uh, he wanted to play uh, Van Halen's version of Girl, You Really Got Me, the Kinks Jam. Um, mm-hmm. And he was just kind of like, come on, if you please play bass so that I can do this. And like, you know, it's super easy. Any idiot can do it kind of thing. I'll teach you. So... I did it and and felt like, well, shit, I actually did play with drums and in the band, you know, like it worked. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of got over my issue with being like my dad and started working on it. And I got pretty good pretty fast. And by the time I was 17, I was already making a living playing music. So How so? Just people started asking me to play and offering to pay me, you know, just I started playing at church, but the church that I went to had like special music every week. And so Mm. one by one, each of those artists would hire me to play other gigs with them. And, and, and it just kind of started from there. And like when I was 19, I got offered a full ride to USC, which had turned down (laughs) Because because I was like, I'm already gigging, you know, like, I don't need. Yeah, I had this, my career. You know? I, I really regret doing that. But, uh, but, uh, they, really? Yeah, I mean, I just didn't. My parents were hippies. They were like, you don't need that shit, you know. 
But yeah. I, like, in as an adult, I looked back and I just thought, oh my god, like that's a that's the way people network and you know make connections and mm. and was it it was for it was for base. Yeah, that was kind of what I said. I said, you know, they offered it to me because I was playing. I, I did go to like one semester of, of community college in Riverside, like crash course music theory and joined a big band and played in a jazz combo and yeah, did everything. No other classes, just music classes. And um, mm-hmm. our jazz combo went and did a, a few of these like jazz festivals and like competitions and won against all these big schools um like north texas and usc and ucla and all those and it was like what (laughs) we shouldn't have won (laughs) so uh that was um it's almost like a bad news bears (laughs) story (laughs) there's a bunch of like you know uh, dudes without matching suits from riverside just shredding (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> um and it was, it was a, shredding jazz combo. yeah so so that was when i got that kind of offer and rejected it so i was you know i'm glad that i did what i did you know just kind of yeah but i would say i did it the hard way <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i i definitely had a similar thing out of high school where as you know as as a kid it's like oh well i'll go to college for music because i want to play music but then you get to 17 or 18 and it's like do i really want to spend four years just practicing bass well, paying there someone also was this thing of like i would meet these dudes who would go off to berkeley or whatever and they'd come back and they you know whatever not all of them some of them would come back kind of having lost whatever was magical about their playing totally. they, they were forced yeah. to be too focused on technique and and style and not enough about like how to find your own thing you know well that's like literally well, i did the five-week music program there as like a 16 year old and one of the instructors was telling me that i should not even consider the idea of having my own sound or writing my own music until I've mastered like the greats and what they've done. Right. And I thought that that was such a backwards way of being creative. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's kind of what they celebrate. And, and, and yet, you know, it's like, who do we venerate? (laughs) You know, like I think like Bob Dylan, it's like, he's not Pavarotti. He's more famous than Pavarotti. And I don't yeah. want him to sing like that. He's just got to be Bob. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and so there's there's this this sort of different standard if you take jazz mm-hmm. out of the equation. Um, yeah, that that has to do with with it's that's great, fine and good if you can shred, but but you know, doing your own thing and, and being singular is way harder. <laughs> Than being yeah. a shredder, anybody can do that. Yeah, a lot of people. You go to Nam, you can see a lot of people. Can, yeah, uh, it makes me sick. I hate going to Nam <laughs> for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. wish I could have a private Nam with just the cool kids. Like, <laughs> can we just do that without but, without the fucking heavy metal <laughs> yeah. on Cliff? Um. So and like, was Everest your first go at like a? a band like a democratic uh, I guess. creative band. i mean i um 
I really had kind of done a lot of that kind of stuff with Richard and, and even though that was kind of like just him and I and of some friends of ours and, and it got to a point where I just like couldn't have, I had a family and couldn't afford to, to do it anymore and yeah. and had kind of quit music and um, was going to enroll in school and get a degree and, <laughs> you know, try to legitimize. And then Everest like called me, I, I had already enrolled and like done the placement test and I was about to pick classes and. And I knew Joel from and Russ from when I was with Richard, and and they basically said, "Hey, we're going out on the road with Neil Young and Wilco. If you want to come? We'll pay you." <laughs> <laughs> and that, like, I think that was like now ex-wife, you know, rolled all of her eyes uh, when that <laughs> happened, and uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, well, but yeah. On the other hand, it's like it's that's hard. It's hard to say now. Well, exactly. Um, and and it was, you know, it's just one of those things where it was like that was always going to happen. I think it was yeah. kind of me me also giving in and going, well, I'm doing this for life. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not having second <laughs> thoughts and just going for it. But uh, yeah. Uh, and I learned uh, so much from going on that tour and, and being around Neil and 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 Wilco and every other person I met on that tour you know it's just like ah I see you know like there was a there was a, yeah. a lot of aha moments at that time and so at that point I think I still kind of was like more about working in the studio and trying to stay home with my family and and I did like a couple records for Delta Spirit uh, producing and a couple some other projects that were going on at the time and and so I think when I when they asked me to be in Everest, I was like, oh, okay, this will be like I'll produce the band from the inside, <laughs> which yeah. did not work. Because <laughs> um, uh, eventually they they did ask me to like helm the production of the records, and I said no because mm -hmm. I I was like, well, now I'm in the band, you know, and I want to just be the bass player in a band for once. And yeah. and so, but I wish I because I think that some of those other things I talked about earlier would have been kind of, I would have sort of nipped in the bud at that moment instead of, you know, trying to be politically correct and let it, let somebody else try to handle that stuff. Like, which never happened. Um, yeah. You, your, your attempt to, you wanted to produce the band and then you were like, well, I'll do it from the inside and then ended up. Well, you can't do it from the player. inside because you know, yeah. nobody wants to take orders from the bass player. <laughs> That's the problem. They're fine if you're not in yeah. the band, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so, you know, for that thing to kind of like, I, I had enough of what I felt like. I never really cared about being in my own band. Like, uh, I just wanted to get involved with, you know, rad people who are making rad music and and do my best to add to the equation. Uh, and what. Well Forgive me for not being super well informed, but I, I, I'd had I, you don't have your own Wikipedia page yet, so oh. I couldn't, uh, you know, just quickly glean some information off of yeah. the internet. But, but I didn't. It's, uh, I wasn't aware of uh, how much production you were doing. Yeah, I mean, it's always been something I've done uh, almost as a second job, I say. But because I, I got married when I was twenty and had kids by the time I was twenty-four, and. 
mm. just just being a bass player wasn't wasn't enough and and um you know my uncle owned a recording studio so i and i used to intern there when i was a teenager and i i would i had learned from the engineers there and had an engineer and and I would kind of be working like my brother's band. I was kind of like record them and and like and and I felt like people would hear that stuff and be like, oh my god, this sounds amazing. Because I was like like all the engineers that were older than me, like their favorite band or the the ultimate you know sort of engineered records were like Toto records, you know. Oh yeah. And I was the only guy who knew how to make like you know. Radiohead drum sounds in the, in the <laughs> mid nineties or wanted to do that, like wanted to distort, you know, yeah. or new, new computers, like none of the older engineers, like new computers. So I was kind of an early pro tools guy. I mean, I did all the analog stuff too. Uh, when I started, it was like in the eighties still, but, um, I just think I was just like, even with the Richard Swift stuff, I was just like the only guy that anybody knew that, <laughs> that didn't have bad taste and could engineer records. So I never like set up <laughs> to be an engineer. I was just like, I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, like don't hire anybody else. Let me do it. Like, and so it was just that it was just like, eventually I had been like around long enough and people were like, Hey, you know, like come make these records with us. Like, you know, and I think that's been kind of my strength too. It's just like not, not sweating all the engineer bullshit and just, just, yeah. you know, if it sounds good, it is good. You know, using my knowledge about engineering just to make it sound the way I like, I don't care if it's right or wrong or there is no right or wrong, you know, it's just whatever you yeah. want to do, you know, and, yeah. you know, and also just being a musician, um, and playing with these other bands and being around these other creative people feeds that. I can kind of bring that back into the studio and say, well, you know, I've seen this work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's important, you know, seeing music affect people, looking at their faces, seeing what, what makes them smile or get excited or dance or whatever is all, yeah. it's all this intangible stuff that is what you really need to produce great records. So, um, yeah, I, I was just talking to my friend about that then about how, the difference of, uh, writing and and producing your own stuff and then going actually going on tour for the first couple of years and then like how how that alone changes you oh yeah as a writer yeah i mean and it should you know i mean it, it, this is the you're not this 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 experience as an artist isn't supposed to be done in a closet it's your response to the world and yeah. like and, you know, one of the nice things about getting signed and becoming a touring band is that you do, you go out and you run into other people who are more talented than you. <laughs> and like, yeah. and you go, damn, <laughs> I got to step up my game and stop just writing stupid songs about my ex-girlfriend, you know, like, because <laughs> like, yeah. there's just more to it than that. Like, and then you start going, okay, what's a great song? Like, what is it about this music that... The, you know, there's been so many times, I'm sure you've had this too, where I've been at a festival and just seen 57,000 people cheering for somebody I've never heard of and going, what is this? You know, who is yes. this? I don't even get this. Like, I totally missed it. And like, and, and just it, trying to figure out what it is that everybody's so into it for, you know, not yeah. that it's not worthy, it blows my mind. Just, just that you're confused and don't get it, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I 
every t- anytime I drive, which I I often don't. <laughs> Uh, but whenever I happen to be like driving on Hollywood Boulevard or I drive by the uh, um, the Palladium and I see sold out with some band name I've never heard of, or like or like sure. at the Wiltern or the Greek, like how many niches there are in the world that uh, people are like the fandom's insane and I've never even it's never crossed, I guess, never never found its way in front yeah. of my face or in, in the yeah. years. I remember having that revelation when I was like 22, which was 1997. Makes me feel real fucking old. But uh, <laughs> I was on tour with this blues guitar player guy, and and he was kind of on a Warner Brothers label, and and we, on one of our off days, were taken to the like Warner Brothers like plant where they had all the CDs to ship them out to the music stores and stuff. Back when there were music stores. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and CDs. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember walking through the fucking warehouse of Warner Brothers and, like, I hadn't heard of 95% of these bands. And I'm thinking, all these bands are signed to a major label. You know, where, like, to me, that was, like, the, the finish line at the time. Like, if you get on a major label, then you're just, that's just easy street at that point, you know. And yeah. it's like, no, <laughs> that's not even easy. Yeah, that, that was the era of signing. Like, I don't know, for every one band you've heard of, right? There's 20 yeah. signed bands. Oh. They were making, you know, millions and millions of dollars off of these records that they were, you know, that cost a hundred grand to make. I mean, I always think it's funny how like in the mo- in the movie business, they just count dollars, you know? But it's like, if you think of like, yeah. I don't know, thriller, something like 30 million records times 15 to $20 is hundreds of yeah. millions of dollars, you know, maybe yeah. even a billion if you count live shows, merchandising videos and publishing and everything else. Like a, a yeah. record has made as much as a big blockbuster movie many times mm-hmm. over. And so I think at the time there was just like before, Napster and all that chive. It was, uh, it was, oh, everything was price gouged, you know, like everything yeah. was too expensive. All the gear was too much money. And like, as soon as they started tightening the belts, they were like, uh, all the studios were, they were like 3,500 bucks a day. Are like, no, we don't have clients anymore. It's like, yeah, because yeah. you can do the same shit in your garage, idiot. Yeah, now that the same studios are like exactly bucks a day. the exact same ones, or that gear is going for like fifty bucks on eBay. What do you think about the transition to home studios? Um, I uh, I think it's good and bad. I mean, I think there's plenty of situations where studios are ideal. I mean, I look at it like a home studio is like a location shoot, <laughs> you know. The power might be bad. There's not good soundproofing. You're going to hear cars driving by. There's just problems mm-hmm. you have to deal with because you're not in a studio. And a studio is just a controlled yeah. environment where all that shit's worked out already. And there's a bunch of gear there. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> so sometimes, you know, it's just more convenient, you know, to use a studio and pay the price. And then, but, but, yeah. you know, some of the best records I've ever worked on, you know, were recorded in garages and homes. 
So yeah. I think it's a vibe thing, you know, more than anything. Like one of the cool things about home recording is it pressures off. But like one of the things about renting a studio is that you put pressure on, <laughs> you know, like that yeah. you like, oh shit, we're paying money for this. We got to perform, you know, uh, that you yeah. don't just have all day to sit and pontificate about whether you did, did it well, you know, like just yeah. lay it down, move on. We, we have, which, is, which definitely, I, I feel like that's the only time I ever want to go into a real studio is when I, I feel like the pressure will be. Yes, good. absolutely. And it is. And it's nice when you have headphones and you can sit in the control room and talk to people as somebody's laying down a pass or something. Um, not yeah. like... Not have the like, in Yeah, this, like in the, the, there's, there's lots of things that go into recording, you know. It, sometimes it's like if you get a budget and, and you're, you know, this band is a new sign or whatever, like, you think they want to go record in a house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, people want the experience of recording in a studio, you know, going yeah. somewhere, isolating yourself, whatever. So home yeah. studios are great for, more great for, like, overdubs and, and creative stuff, like, where you just want to yeah. spend time, you know, doing the sound development stuff. Yeah. Um, how did you get, uh, looped in with Richard Swift? Um, I mean, I, we met when we were both in our early twenties, um, through Christian music. Um, I was playing for an artist named Crystal Lewis and he had a record deal, uh, at the time with her record label. So she hired me and a guy named Frank Lenz or not her, but Brian Ray, her husband hired us to play on his record and and we kind of it was i could tell that like you know richard was just doing this i mean i i hate to say it now but but uh for the money um because because we were like why you know because he was showing us some of his songs me and frank and we were like why are you doing this christian record and he was like, because they offered me $35,000. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, trust me, dude. Like, these are songs I wrote when I was like 14. Like, I'm, I have all these other songs. And he played, essentially, Walking With That Effort, his first record jams for me and Frank. Mm -hmm. And we were like, dude, we got to record this, you know, and, and went and recorded it separately um, and had to g jump through hoops to get him out of that record deal and stuff at the time. But... We were just buddies. We were both young fathers, and we were the only dudes we knew who were in this predicament. So we just we became being young yeah, fathers and and being musicians and trying to make it. And he mm. was living in Oregon, but he was spending a lot of time on all of our couches, my brother's couch, and uh, coming down because he really wasn't able to make a living at music in Oregon. Um, yeah. So um, eventually, he moved his family down. But it was just, you know, years and years of that before we even started Richard Swift stuff. But yeah, uh, doing all those records, I mean, we were trying our best, trying to do great things, even though, you know, maybe I wouldn't show people those records right out of the gate. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, when the, when we did start making the Richard Swift records, we knew what we were doing. And, and 
when he first came out, people were like, whoa, who is this guy? Why is beyond his years? And why is this band so awesome? <laughs> you know, but like <laughs> we've been playing together in so many other gigs uh, just for money yeah. together, me, Frank and Swift. And See, we already were, were, yeah, I mean, beyond anything that Detroit could handle, believe me. Like, I mean, I'm sounding arrogant here, but I feel like we came in there and blew the doors off from beat one. And that was kind of, you know, the easiest rise I've ever been a part of. I mean, it was all just word of mouth and you just like selling out shows and none of the people were our friends, <laughs> you know? And like, yeah, that's, that's when you're awesome. like, wow, how did we just do that? You know, but it's because yeah. the music was great already. And, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, with other bands, if, if it was more of a struggle, it was like, well, the music should be better, <laughs> you know, that's, and that's, that's the hard part. You know, it's not, it's not so simple just cause you have the right label and manager and everything else doesn't mean shit. You still have to catch fire yeah, really. and, and be compelling, you know? Yeah. I, I, I always have this, I don't know, be, being uh, born and raised in LA and it's like, there's so many weird little scenes and I, I've played with a lot of people in different many different genres and there's obviously like personality wise big differences depending on the genre too sometimes yeah, 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 a common thing that i hear so much from typically younger people in la that, that have a band is them talking about how they want to sound specifically like bigger pop bands yeah. or like yeah we want to sound like mgmt meets something like yeah. that and it always it always confuses me just in the sense of like wanting to sound like something well it's a huge mistake i mean the thing i i always remind people is like hey you know you're looking at this label and you like all the bands on it and you sound exactly like them why would you why would they sign you like they want what they don't have on their label you know they want something unique like if you've got something and you're not (laughs) no but that's that's i mean i think it's just Part of it is just like the kind of like, I guess, call it American Idol phenomenon. Like these kids now have been trained to think that if you do your hair right and you have the right makeup and you do this and you go to this, you know, vocal coach and you, if you do all these things and that means you're going to be huge and it just doesn't mean that. Like if it was that simple, everybody would do it. Um, Yeah. And it's also like treating it like a get rich quick type of situation. Like, you know, you you are the reason you want to emulate these big bands is because they're because they're big, because they're right. famous, and because they have money. And like, if that's your incentive to want to sound like somebody, it seems like the wrong place for your head to be. Yeah, you I know, mean, how many times have you heard people say, uh, "Hey, go back and get the music, make better music," instead of, "Man, it's mixed wrong," or "You should have gone to this studio," or "You should have used this guitar," or whatever, like it's ridiculous. Like everybody, you know, if I just had 10,000 names on an email list, like, no, that's not it. Like 10,000 names on an email list just means that people notice you. And that maybe is enough to, to, to take a gamble. But like, you know, and if you are kind of pushing the needle and making a waves in your, in your own town, believe me, those labels will show up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because they're looking for it you know but they they're not going to sign someone who's not 
just blowing people's minds already without their help, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not like they're sitting in a lab going, hmm, what's the next band we can create, you know? Yeah, well, I think they're well, actually... Well, maybe they I mean, in that case... Like, I think some of them are. In the case of but, pop music, I, yes, but I think the only thing... The, like, you can moneyball music, but only for, like, music that's destined for 13 to 17-year-old kids. Like, I think once yeah. people get taste, and when we're talking about the greats, we're not talking about album sales. You know, we're talking about, yeah. you know, did you move the needle? Are you influential? Did you change the game? You know, that's yeah. a different story. You know, that has nothing to do with sales, you know. I mean, some of it does, yeah. but it's it's not, you know, it's like, I don't know, Transformers made way more money than, than Pulp Fiction ever did, but which one's more relevant, you know? <laughs> Yeah, he's gonna be, they're not going to be talking no, about Transformers. Yeah. And, and so that can't be the, the, the measure, you know. Success is something, yeah. you know. But if, you know, if it's merely about success, then, you know, you have lower standards. But try yeah. to do art and make it popular or do something unique that's never been done and be popular doing that, now that is a tall order. And that, that doesn't happen <laughs> that often. Yeah. Um. And from from Everest into playing with Father John Misty, was there a lull in in touring? Uh, a little bit, maybe. Like I played with the Wallflowers for a little while, and and Jacob Dylan's solo. When, literally yeah, when in that? between Everest and 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 Father John Misty, to the point where I literally had to quit the Wallflowers to be in Father John Misty, but. I saw I saw the wallflowers randomly twice, but I think it might have been must have been right before. Yeah, basically, I think uh, Russ, who was the lead singer of Everest, and I um, played some gigs with with Jacob Dylan as like a uh, for his solo stuff on a little run as the rhythm section. Russ is a really good drummer. Hmm. And then he went off and did this kind of wallflowers reunion thing. And then I don't know, there was some kind of personnel change. So he asked us if we could jump in and, and play these, these few tours. Um, so it was short lived, but that was kind of the in between. Um, and then uh, the, the Father John Misty gig came through. David Vanderveld recommended me and uh, Noah, Josh's manager, had recommended me, and a few other people had mentioned my name to him. Uh, and he had seen me play with Everest, opening for Neil, and and knew me from the Richard Swift days. But we had never met. But basically, he just called me up and asked me if I wanted to get. And I said, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. Which is nice. I love it that like, you know when a gig like that comes along, it's, it's obviously the right thing. If you, if it just sort of falls in your lap, you know? Yeah. Like, if it, if it's like that. Like yeah. Adrian. For whatever reason, everything I've tried to, when I've had to force things into existence, it's always blown up in my face, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's work that way. yeah. Did you know Jeff, uh, R Ramuno? I'm not I sure. Who is that? He's the bass player for you. Um, in Father John Misty. Oh, 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 oh Jeff Rattiti. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't know his last name. Um, 
Um, I didn't know him, no. Uh, I didn't know. I had never even seen Father John Misty live. Oh, okay. Was asked to play in the band. Um, I don't know uh, specifically what what motivated Josh to change things around, but, but uh, you know, it is what it is. I, I think every time I've hung out with Jeff, he's a great dude. Yeah, he, he was my stepbrother's guitar teacher when I was, like, in high school. Oh, wow. And, um, and... His some of his early bands I checked out a couple times, and then I just was randomly at a Father John show and saw him on stage and texted him. I was like, "Wow, that's fucking crazy!" And then when I saw yeah. you were playing with them, and I was like, "I kind of know that guy." What's yeah? Uh, it stayed pretty much the same since then. I guess we added John, uh, the piano player, yeah. <laughs> after pure comedy because there was more of like a need for like a full time piano. Yeah. And then Anna synth keyboard B three organ stuff. Yeah, Mellotron. I've honestly, I've I've probably seen, and a lot of it's just because of festivals, um, which I'm only saying that to like talk myself down. But I've probably seen the Father John Misty show like nine times. I would say. Oh wow! Um, nice. And with you, I think like six times. <laughs> uh, right on. But yeah, the 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 lineup that you guys have right now is insane that show is really really tremendous yeah i love i love everybody in our band and it's it's uh we've definitely had growing pangs just like any band mm-hmm. um but but uh it's it's great everybody in our crew is wonderful as well there's a really good balance of personalities yeah that's awesome do you have projects going on on the side um Little things. I uh, I just finished, uh, or pseudo finished. <laughs> you know how these things go. But uh, uh, David Vanderveld's new record, uh, which we did in Orange County, uh, kind of towards the end of last year, mostly. And it's really good. I'm really excited about that. Um, I've I've been kind of taking it easy, but I've been uh, just working on music here at the house. Uh, in Washington and I don't know I think some stuff will come out of this for sure yeah and I've been I've been planning on doing kind of a I don't know what else to call it other than a rhythm section record with my buddy Frank Lenz um uh at some time in the near future that's just kind of just just kind of section music I say well. I say that I, I want to refrain from calling it jazz because I don't think that's what it will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably something closer to like can or, or, you know what I mean, like or the meters. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like just kind of like groove oriented yeah. stuff that's not cheesy and sounds cool. Yeah, and isn't isn't sort of self-aggrandizing. I'll do my solo, then you do your solo kind of stuff. Yeah. It's more about like musical landscapes. I guess Stereo Lab is maybe a good model mm-hmm. of what I'm thinking in my mind. But uh but um I, I you know without... I hate to use this word, but <laughs> just uh focusing on the vibe. Yeah, no no, that's it. Like and 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 kind of like I don't know, jamming, but not jamming. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, I think there's something really beautiful about improvisation. Um, but I think it's so quickly teeters into wankery yeah. without, without close refereeing. 
And so it's it's a matter of pushing the the envelope without going over the cliff into wankery. It <laughs> just it's scraping the ceiling. Yeah, that's kind of at least conceptually in my mind what I want to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just kind of we go back out on the road with Misty in June and and just take we we kind of went for almost like four four and a half years straight ish, four years I guess. Uh, with a few little breaks in there, so this is the longest extended break that we've had, you, and it feels you're, feels good. You're enjoying it. I am, but I, I really love being on the road. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to lose my mind because <laughs> <laughs> I just am used to being on the move. But I've just, you know, resolved to doing road trips with my girlfriend and visiting national parks and things like that. And that's that's kind of been, you know, just touring by myself without music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is which is really fun. Yeah. Do you see yourself? I mean, I I actually never asked anybody this, but do you see yourself like how how long do you see yourself being a touring musician? Forever. Yeah. Until, until you can't. I don't know why I would stop. I don't. I mean, really, anybody? If you look around, nobody stops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Neil hasn't stopped. Nobody stopped. Yeah. I mean, and even if you do try to stop, you're coming back. Yeah. Like, it's just, I don't want to fight it, you know? I love making records. I love being on the road. I don't think there's, I don't, I think they're very different things. And yeah, sometimes I get, get burned out of being on the move that much. And when I am, I come home and I'm creative and work in the studio and work, work on different other creative projects. And that suits me fine. Uh, because, you know, I kind of then I get bored doing that stuff, and I'm like, Ugh, I want to tour again. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's just I switch back and forth, and it's it's a nice balance. Yeah, you got to be you got to be pretty good at you got to be not not just good at handling change, but almost like like better off. I mean, really, like I said, my dad is a musician, and and we had a tour bus parked in front of my house when I was a kid, and his band owned their own bus, and it was parked at our house. So I've you know, this is basically normal to me yeah. i don't you know a year spent not traveling is a wasted year in my mind so it's i'm it's just in my blood i, I don't know what i can say like i just <laughs> i love it I, I meet lots of other musicians who like swift included who was like oh i just need to like stop doing this for like two years and i'd be like really i'm i love it <laughs> like, what a what a way to make a living you know yeah I mean, I always go back to anytime I feel myself starting to complain about anything, I always try to remind myself that it's the best job that there is. Yeah. And it's not just the music. It's all the people you meet and the places you go and what you learn about humanity along the way. Like, yeah, it's all of it. It's such a unique thing that we do. Like, well, and it's a pretty amazing know. thing to be able to meet people in weirdly intimate ways and in, in yeah, all over the world. Yeah, tourists tourists are not welcome, I guess. You know, I don't like them either. So, like, but we're not tourists. We're invited guests, and they treat us differently. Yeah. it's a, And they want to show us the, the cool restaurants and what's special about their town. And so in that way, I feel like we're, like, the most prolific travelers of all time. <laughs> yeah. <when there's, laughs> I really do. There's a, big, there's a big, like, opening of, like, wanting to share and open up. Yeah. Who, who and they're usually drunk. Yeah, <laughs> or stoned or something else like, <laughs> yeah. like that almost famous, you know, of going to the party in Kansas and 
being with the, the regular folks. Yeah. The normies. Uh, that's, that's part of it. You know, like we're all normies. We're all, we were once people looking at people who were doing this and going, how do I do that? Yeah. How do I, how do I position my life to be doing that? Mm. Because if I could pull that off, you know, I might as well have won the lottery. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you like it more or it just stays constant? <sighs> Uh, I like it more when, when all the ingredients are right, I guess, yeah. if that works, that's, that's, you don't want to stop question because when, when you have the right situation, then it, it doesn't seem to get old. Right. Exactly. And, and I think, I think that it's, it has to do with just kind of, you know, your musical philosophy from the, you know, Ultimately, that leads you to the, the people that you collaborate with. Just like what's important, you know, what are, what are you doing music for? You know, what's the, you wind up hanging out with all the people who, you know, it's their worst nightmare to merely be style over substance, you know, and like you want to do something that matters, even though you know it, you probably won't achieve it. It's just, it's just that that's your standard, you know, yeah. and and you you press press that higher and uh, to to the greatest of your ability, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when you do, I just believe when you do that, you kind of wind up surrounding yourself with the same kinds of people. It's worked that way so far. But if I ever start hating it, I'll certainly stop doing it. But I don't think so. I'm glad you you're so stoked and apologize. I missed you, Ben, and that's a good fit because I, I yeah. you guys never stopped going. I like the show a lot. Well, you know, I didn't even start that gig till I was 39, so like it's funny. You know, there were many times where I thought my musical career was over, and it's just it it music won't let me go, so I just keep going. <laughs> I do you have because I've definitely felt like if a gig ends, I've definitely felt like. Oh shit! I probably won't ever get one again. Like that's probably can't imagine someone like. Yeah, until you've had many, many gigs, and you just it's you know then it's like it's not about the one gig. It's about the journey and what each gig teaches you, and and no matter how short or long term it is, like you know I feel like that blues tour that I did when I was twenty two taught me so much about bass. I never would have been in a band like that. It was just I needed the money and it just mm-hmm. opportunity was let was there. But there's something about playing Texas blues in a in a in a trio a la Hendrix, Cream, you know, yeah. essentially Zeppelin, where when the guitar player starts soloing, the bass player has to basically do everything. Yeah. Comp the whole song. And and being forced to do that for a year every night uh, taught me a lot about the neck. Like, just I knew the neck upside down and backwards in, in, by the end of that tour. Yeah, and I just, I was never afraid of playing live again. Like, it was just everything I needed I got from that experience as far as, like, okay, now I know what it's, what it's all about. Like, yeah, that- and I, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that tour as being the sort of, thing and so i have to admit like it doesn't matter whether i liked it or not i learned what i needed to learn you know and it's made me a better musician ever since that's a great thing yeah so i've stopped even questioning everything anymore i just like you know it's more about just the flow of life like 
if one door closes, another one opens. And I know that sounds stupid and cliche and like something you see on your mom's wall in the bathroom, but like, it is true. Like, yeah. And like, and, and you never know like what you're, what I think of like Nels Klein, I think it was like 50 or something when he joined Wilco. Yeah. And had been a guy, I saw him with the, the, um, God, what was that band called? Uh, why can't I think of, oh my God, kind of a cow punk band from the 90s. Uh, Geraldine Fibbers, you ever heard of that band? Uh, yeah, I saw Nels playing with Geraldine Fibbers in some shitty club in Seattle in 1996. <laughs> he was the first guy I ever saw that used a matchless. I was like, whoa, a matchless. Oh, cool. Um, but I'm just, and then, you know, years later, he's in Wilco, but it's like he's in Wilco because he's Nels Klein and he did all those other rad bands. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and like, and it's like, you can't undo that, you know, like that's Wilco wanted him because he already came to the table with a bunch of stuff to offer. Yeah. Well, and we don't have to get into talking about Wilco at all, but that him, his addition to the band was like such a the, the weirdly perfect fit. Yeah. The lead guitar player. Yeah, and it had they had been a, a band that had chemistry issues for a long time, and eventually it got solved. And it has nothing to do with whether or not those other people were talented. Jay Bennett was so talented, yeah. you know, and and a, a genius. And but you know, for whatever reason, it was difficult for them to work together. So yeah, it's I, it's. I think when Nels Klein joined the band, or right after that, is when. Uh, Jeff Tweedy said something about it being the best. He, like he finally found the incarnation of the band that he's always wanted. sure, sure. And Tweedy isn't going to try to steal. Or, uh, sorry, Nels isn't trying to steal Tweedy's thunder. Yeah, you know. And uh, in fact, there's just a perfect little envelope for him to be Nels. Yeah. And isn't that what we all essentially want? Yeah. <laughs> Is a place where we're actually wanted for what we uniquely do, Being and it up. works for the band that you're in. Yeah, that's that's kind of that's the ultimate, I think. Because uh. I always think about that with Radiohead too. Like Phil Selway is by no means the greatest drummer in the world, but I don't want another drummer in that band. No, it would kind of <laughs> like, be devastating if they like. I like what if it was just like whatever Josh Freeze or something. It would just wouldn't be right. Yeah. Like, there's something about that push and pull and that, you know, the, the kind of every personality in that band has a sort of unique sort of feel. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't, I don't think it would work even if, even if it is a struggle, you know, to have to deal with some of that stuff like that, that's part of the sound, yeah. you know, Charlie Watts, Ringo, Larry Mullen. <laughs> I mean, the list goes on of like, it doesn't matter if you're the shredder. It just matters if you're the right thing. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I'm going to try this just because I've never used this uh, Zencaster thing to do this. And it's yeah. I've got these options here. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, nice. It gives me a couple of these little cues. Um, <laughs> they're pretty great. And now, deep thoughts. Yeah. And this is for you to open up now. Does that just keep going? Okay, I got that. Anyway. <laughs> nice. I just had to f figure yeah. it out. Well, thanks for talking to me, man. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. I'm glad I figured this thing out. And maybe I'll do more of these phone interviews. I mean, they kind of 
the point of the podcast in a way was interviewing people while on tour is kind of like an ideal situation or going to people's like studios or to their houses. But, but this seems to work just as well. Yeah. If this works and the audio works out good, why not? Yeah. So it's nice to know that there's this option, but yeah, it seemed easy to me. Yeah. feels like we're on the radio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're live. We're podcasting this thousands oh, cool. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. Hello everybody. I'll, uh, I'll let you go now, but, um, all right. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, Maybe, well, I'll see you at some festival in the future, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I hope right. you guys. All right, man. All right, bud. We'll <laughs> talk to you soon. All right, see you. Bye. Bye.